Thank you, Pastor Tito. Glad you made it back safely. You know, uh, as a former youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for about 20 years, and uh, my favorite uh, age group was middle school, was high school, was, was, was the junior high. And then I get around them now and I smell them. And I'm like, why did I like that age group so much? But I did, man. So uh, when, uh, when I heard that Tito and them had to stop and turn around, man, I was really sad for our students. But um, I heard that they still had fun. They made the best of it. So thank you, leadership. You know, thank you, Pastor Tito, for, for doing that. Because those are, um, those are those things where if you're journaling or writing a book, you include that in your book and say, this is an experience uh, that I'll never forget. So thank you, buddy, for, for keeping them safe. Hey, good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Jeremy. If you're new here. Uh, thank you for checking out New Life Patterson. Uh, this is the uh, New Life Christian Center, the Patterson campus. And so thank you for being here if you, are, if you are new. If this is your first time here, do we have a gift for you? Uh, this, we have this uh, mug that's got our logo on it. So before you leave, head out that door, turn left, and you'll see our Welcome Center. So grab one of these mugs. It's just a little token uh, that we can give from us to you to say thank you for checking us out here at New Life Christian Center, the Patterson campus. And also, if you're here for the first time and you're looking for a church, but you don't have a home church, we want to say to you, welcome home. Amen. Hey, uh, baptisms are happening next Sunday. I'm super stoked about this. I'm really excited about our baptism. Uh, we have a, the class today. So if you had trouble, I know there was a couple of people that had troubles with the link getting signed up because the picture took you to a different link than the actual registration link. We apologize for that. Uh, we're trying to work out that issue to see what happened. Uh, but if you want to get baptized in water, that is happening next Sunday. And uh, if you weren't able to get uh, signed up, then stay for the class today. We will get you the right link. We'll get you signed up. So the class is going to be immediately following service just right over here in our overflow area. Uh, so after service, uh, hang out for uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, talk to people, and, and then uh, once everybody kind of uh, leaves, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we dive into that class. Uh, we've got some cards that we want you to fill out, just one basic information, but we just want to kind of give you the why behind water baptism, the way that we do it here at New Life. Uh, maybe you grew up uh, and you were baptized as, a, as an infant or what, uh, as a baby in a different church. Certainly nothing wrong with that, but now that you are an adult, you made the decision that you want to do that for yourself and make your own decision. So we want to celebrate that. So next Sunday is going to be water baptism. So we're going to do three or four songs like we normally do. And then this week, Pastor Tito and I are going to put up the tank and then we'll go into the, the baptism portion of our service. And so I think we have like five to seven people that's going to be water baptized next week. So we're really excited about that. Those of you that are taking that next step in your relationship with Jesus, we're so excited that you're doing that. So that's next Sunday, okay? But the class is immediately following service. If you came prepared to give today, we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity, your faithfulness, and your giving. Thank you so much. We couldn't do what we do uh, without uh, your, your donations, without your giving back uh, to God through New Life. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you just sit back and relax. This is for people who, are, who already call New Life Patterson their home church. So if you're new here, you are under zero obligation to give. This is for our faith family. But we have uh, different ways we can give back through our, we can give through our app. We can give through uh, the website. You can give here physically. We have a giving box right there located at our exit. You can just drop your gift into that. And we really appreciate that. Okay. Um, 
And then uh, we're going to be in the scriptures today. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, we've got them right here on stage. All right. You can come up and get a Bible. We have New Testament in Spanish and in English. And I would just want to encourage you to start bringing your Bibles. If you have it on your app or if you have it on your device, that's great. But if you don't have a Bible, these are yours. You can come up and grab one. We're going to be in the books of Matthew, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're also going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 1 Timothy 6, and Matthew 6. I want to get us all used to reading Scripture. All right, this is God's Word, right? This is God's life to us. It's a bread. It's how we get our nourishment. It's God's way of communicating to us. And the way that we communicate to God is through different uh, forms of discipline in our prayer or maybe going for a walk. And a lot, of, a lot of us connect with Jesus in different ways. But the way that we get to hear from God to us is through His Scripture. And so we have Scripture up here. Uh, we have Spanish and English, so feel free. You're not going to bother me. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I've seen a lot crazier things than people walking up to the stage, all right? So if you want to walk up to the stage and get you a copy of God's Word while we're diving into this, you go right ahead. You're not going to bother me at all. So like I said, today we are wrapping up uh, our Becoming series, where for the last six weeks, whoa, I'm, I'm distracted. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, no, I'm just kidding, guys. Yeah. What? Don't really. Do, no. No, this is great. Anyway, I've, I put 30 copies of God's Word up here, New Testament only, and that's where we're going to be today. So do not, you guys come up and get a, script, get a copy of God's Word if you want. Uh, we're wrapping up our scripture uh, or our series that we've been in over the last several weeks called Becoming, where over the last six weeks, we've been focusing on a, how to consistently be more like Jesus, not perfect. Okay, that's not the point. How to become more like Jesus and how we can begin to become more like Jesus by taking one step closer to Jesus because it doesn't matter how long you've been serving Jesus, we all can take a step, right? It doesn't matter if you've been serving Jesus for 80 years or 80 days. We all have a step in our relationship with Jesus that we can take in getting closer to him. Because becoming like Jesus is not a one and done event. It is an ongoing daily moment by moment process in which we choose to put the will of God ahead of our own personal desires. So today we're going to take a look and see what it looks like, how to become truly content with our lives. And today we're wrapping it up. This is the end of the series. Next week is baptisms. And then the week after that, we're going to be diving into our new series called Against All Odds. And that's going to take us through Easter, which I'm super stoked about. By the way, we're also doing the Stations of the Cross uh, again this year, the Journey with Jesus right here in the auditorium. We're going to do that on Good Friday and also on the Saturday before Easter that morning. So we'll have the Stations of the Cross uh, set, up, set up here in the auditorium that you can come be a part of that. But today we're going to be looking at what it means to be content like Jesus. How do we find contentment in our lives? Because it sounds easy, right? Just be happy. Just find contentment. Well, if you want to pull out your note sheet, like Pastor Tito said, the, the notes that we're going to be taking throughout the message are going to be in the back of this program. So uh, you'll see at the very top, if you have a pen, you can either write this out on your phone, you can take a pen and actually write this down uh, so you can keep it because we're going to be referring to this a couple of times. So I want you to fill in the blank at the top of this form. And it says, I will be content when, 
I will be content when. And you may not have an answer right now, but be thinking about that. When will you be content? When you get that promotion? When you get the better pay? When you finally get to marry that guy or that girl that you've been praying for for a long time? When you get the house with the pool or that car? When you finally master your golf swing? That's when I'll be content because I still don't have that down. Maybe when you get your big chance on American Idol or when you get so many followers on Instagram or when you get so many likes on that video that you worked so hard to put on social media. When will you be content? So with that answer in mind, I want you to consider how you would feel if that thing never happened. How would you feel? For some, for some in our world, it can feel like our life is filled with more disappointments than with celebrations, right? Some folks never find that deep sense of contentment. And on the opposite extreme, some of us wonder, what's so great about being content? We have a full-time job. We've got three side hustles, and yet we want more. We wake up every day and feel like that we must prove ourselves once again to ourselves, and that's the biggest person that we disappoint often is ourselves. Maybe you've reached a place in life where you've achieved uh, most of your bucket list and you found life is still lacking. We've come face to face with the realization that the more we get, the more we want. And instead of becoming content, we've experienced this short-lived kind of blip of happiness in our lives only to find our minds wandering to what's next, the next thing. So is contentment really something that we can achieve? Is it really possible to be content with our lives? I want to suggest to us that we have been sold a lie from our culture. And when I say culture, you're going to hear me say that word a lot today. And when I say culture, I'm not talking about cultural appropriation. I'm not talking about black culture, Asian culture, white culture. I'm, I'm not talking about those kinds of cultures. I'm talking about the culture around us. Fashion, music, ideologies, politics, the culture around society that we are surrounded in, that is our culture. And we have been sold a lie by our culture. And that lie both shapes and feeds our discontent. Have you heard this phrase before? If you've ever heard this phrase before, shout out the answer to me. He who dies with the most toys wins, right? You see how easily that came off of some of our tongues? Our culture is based on the idea that stuff, things, experiences, people, positions, power will bring us contentment. And then we chase that lie and then we find it empty. And then we're sold a new lie that, say, that says you didn't find the right stuff. You found stuff, but you didn't find the right stuff. But if you get this, then you'll be content. We're addicted to the line of, but wait, there's more. <laughs> it's a never-ending roller coaster that we can't get off of. And then we feel trapped by this constant search for contentment, this constant need for peace. But what if we were actually designed by God to be content? What if there really was a way that we could find contentment? Would you be interested? Of course. Because we all want that feeling of being content in our life. Let me raise the stakes just a little bit. 
What if that solution to contentment, what if the answer to contentment was so counter-cultural that it required us to relearn everything? Would you still be interested? If you have a copy of God's Word, the reason why I was pushing this so, so deeply is because we're going to be in the books, like I said, Matthew, 1 Timothy, and also in um, Philippians. We're going to go to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, okay? Uh, this book is called Philippians, and so it's in the, the, the New Testament, if you're looking through there. And we're going to look together at chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. So if you're, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to the Scriptures, uh, we got Old Testament, New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the first four books of the Bible, which are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, and then Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then boom, Philippians, you'll find it there. You know how I learned, I learned the, the books of the Bible in, in uh, kids' classes, like where some of your kids are right now. And we learned this song. Maybe you heard it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Excellent. Okay, never mind. Anyway, that's how I remember when I was eight years old, okay? And that was like 43 years ago, but I still know it from that. So here's a little context to what we're going to be reading about today. About 11 years earlier, before Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, Paul had visited the city and established a church there. But it didn't start so well. When he first arrived in the city, God used Paul to remove an evil spirit from a little girl. Basically, he cast the demon out of this little girl. But the little girl was also a slave, and her, and her owner got so angry at Paul because this is how he made a living. This demon was in this woman, able to tell people's future. She was a fortune teller, and now Paul cast this demon out of this little girl, and now it took away this guy's income. And by all rights, according to the law, he could have Paul beaten and thrown in prison. And that's exactly what this slave owner did. By the way, stay away from fortune tellers. They are not of God. Okay, there's a reason why Paul cast a demon out of this little girl. And I'm not sure, so, so with Paul trying to establish this church in Philippi, this is not the greatest way to start a church. If I had come to Patterson five years ago and was preaching the gospel and you guys had me beaten and thrown in jail, I probably would have left. I'm not going to start the campus here after that. But if you want to read more of the story, you can find the story in Acts chapter 16 about how God worked in a powerful way that once Paul was thrown into prison, he was beaten and thrown into prison, God caused an earthquake and released Paul from prison. It's an amazing story. And now here we are 11 years later, and Paul's writing this letter to encourage this young church to experience true joy in Christ in spite of some of the circumstances, some of the tough circumstances that they were currently in. Philippians 4 verse 10 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So for some unknown amount of time, the church had been wanting to send Paul a financial gift, but they had been unable to do so. And so finally, it, it arrives to Paul, and he's writing them a letter, part of this letter in the, in the, book, of, in the book of Philippians, in this, in this letter, he's thanking the church of Philippi for their gift. After waiting for years and years, by the way, have you ever found yourself waiting longer than expected for God to meet a need that you have? Year 
after year after year goes by. It could be a health issue. It could be a financial need. It could be a job situation. It could be a broken relationship that you have with someone in your family. And year after year after year and prayer after prayer after prayer, but still nothing. And you begin to ask, is God even there? Does God really care about this need that I have in my life? And Paul could have felt this way, but look at his response to the waiting because it's very unexpected. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 right after what we just read in verse 10. He says this. First of all, in verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know, on a daily basis, you guys know this as well as I do. On a daily basis, you and I are bombarded by a culture that's trying to sell us a lie that stuff and that things will make us happy will make us content. And in order to combat that lie, we have to be intentional about learning to be completely countercultural in our way of thinking. Paul says that he learned, that he quote, learned to be content. He gives us some insight into this process that he went through in finding contentment. He read, we read this in 1 Timothy. If you have your finger there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12, it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse on the way to the cemetery? They can follow it all they want, but they can't take it with them. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fail, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice it doesn't say money. For the love of money is a root. There are several roots when it comes to all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root to, to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, talking to Timothy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's your first feeling for the weekend. Number one, contentment begins with my focus. Contentment begins with my focus. If we want to experience true contentment, it requires us to learn a new way of thinking. It requires us to stop doing the same thing, to stop pursuing money, to stop pursuing power, to stop pursuing people, to stop pursuing positions because we keep pursuing the same things, expecting a different outcome, which is the definition of what? Insanity. It requires us to take our focus off the lie that, will, that stuff will make us happy. It requires us to dig deeply into scripture and to begin to make the priorities of heaven our priorities. It requires us to change the focus of our lives. Look back with me at some of these key words that Paul uses. These are all active words in these scriptures that he's talking to a very young pastor called Timothy. 
He says, flee. He says, pursue. He says, fight. He says, take hold. Paul says we are to flee, which is literally run away from the things that culture is telling us that you have to have, that you should pursue instead of those things that bring us closer to Jesus. Paul then tells us to pursue, meaning to chase after, literally focus on, on, uh, focus and put our greatest effort into becoming like Jesus. And then he says, fight, indicating that this is going to be an ongoing struggle all of our lives. And finally, he challenges us to take hold, which meant the, the Greek word for that means to take hold with both hands and hang on tightly to our faith as the foundational driving force of every area of our lives. Why is this so important? This is why this is so important. Now, I want you to write this down or take a note, write this in your phone or whatever. This is so important. What I pursue shapes who I become. What I pursue shapes who I become. And as followers of Jesus, we are invited to become like Jesus. As we pursue Jesus, we will be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. I remember when, I, when, I, when Janet and I first got married, I was never content with any of my jobs. In tw- the first 12 years of our marriage, I changed jobs seven times. In the first 12 years of our marriage, I drove her nuts. Every two years, I was bouncing to something else. Well, actually less than that because seven in the 12. And so every year and a half, every two years, I was so discontent. I was always in sales. I love sales. I love working with people. I love talking with people. And I was always changing jobs from one job to another. Janet was going crazy. And she finally said, you have got to figure this thing out. And when I was 30 years old, I said, I, I just want to be a pastor. I've wanted to be a pastor since I was 19 years old. And she said, then do it. Quit running from this and find, find out how you can do this. So I went back to school. And at 33, we launched out to Colorado. And even in the first 10 years of my ministry, I, went to, I was in four different churches. In the first 10 years, never content, chasing something. I have no idea. I didn't like this church, so I'm here. I didn't like this church. So I'm, it's the same, same thing when I was with jobs. I was chasing money. This job works more money, makes more money, but it's more hours. Okay, that's okay. I'll do that. This, month, this job is less hours, but it's more time with my family. Okay, then I'll do that. I was never content. And it wasn't until I was 43 years old, back in 2015, eight years ago, was when I finally found my purpose. I knew that my purpose was pastoring people, but I didn't know who I was. My identity was still lost. What I was chasing was trying to find contentment in my identity. And finally, in 2015, it just went off like a light bulb in me. When I was passionately pursuing, what is it? Who am I? I knew that I was a husband. I knew that I was a father. I knew that I was a pastor. But those were just attachments to my identity. That wasn't who I was. I knew that I was a child of God. But what's my purpose? And then in 2015, it clicked. God designed me to be a relational leader, a highly relational leader. And the way that I help people find Jesus is through building relationships. And that is, my, that is my purpose, that is my identity, and that's what I've been attached to for the last eight years. And since 2015, I've had a peace, a contentment in me. And I think about the life of Jesus. I think about 
how Jesus was so content. The only way that we become like Jesus is that we pursue the same things that Jesus pursued. Jesus was content with who he was because he knew who he was. He knew, what his, he knew his identity and he knew the identity of his father. And he knew his identity in the father. So contentment begins when I change my focus on my life from pursuing the lie of culture and instead focus on the values of Jesus. Look back with me at Philippians 4 again, verse 13. Verse 13 seems like a little bit of an odd tagline after we just read verses 11 and 12. And then also 1 Timothy chapter 6, kind of the process for which Paul went through to find contentment. And then he throws this little verse on, uh, verse 13. So remember verse 12, we just read, I have found the secret to being content. And the reason why he's saying this, because in Paul's day, there was a group of philosophers that he oftentimes had amazing conversations with called the Stoics. And they believed that they could earn a relationship with God through mastering their emotions, through mastering their responses, meaning I control my own destiny, was what the Stoics believed. But then Paul writes a very different thought process for the Stoics to even contemplate and for us today when he adds this after he says, I have found the secret to being content. In verse 13, he says, I can do everything or all things through him who gives me strength. And this is, one of the, this is one of those scriptures that's been adopted, has been misused by a lot of people. You see this on t-shirts and hats and tattoos and et cetera, which is all fine and great. But our culture has embraced this verse to mean I can do anything that I set my mind to. If I work hard enough, I can achieve my dreams. We all love the underdog story, of course. But what this verse is really saying, what it actually means is I can do nothing without Jesus. So Paul's response to the Stoic philosophers works just as well for us today in 2023. Paul says that true contentment is found when the desire for what God wants for me overcomes the desire for what I want for me. That's why he could be more content when he had a lot and content when he had little. Because there will be moments, there will be moments when like Paul, we experience seasons of less and seasons of more. Paul chose to find his contentment in his relationship with Jesus rather than in the level of his own comfort. So how about you? Do you struggle do you struggle with being content in seasons of less? Do you find yourself ignoring God in seasons of abundance? Because in my personal walk with Jesus and my personal experience as a pastor, I have found the latter to be more true than the first. Because a lot of times when we're experiencing less, when we're in troubles, when we're, when we're right in the middle of some conflict that we're, uh, or some uh, tough circumstance we're in, a lot of times we, we can easily go to God and say, I need help. But when things are good, we have the tendency to ignore God and put him on the back burner. And God's saying, no, no, no. I want you in both seasons, seasons of lack and seasons of plenty. Have you ever wondered? We talked about this just a few minutes ago. Have you ever wondered if God's forgot about you when you're in 
difficult seasons or he's choosing just to ignore you right in the middle of a tough circumstance. I've been there before. I've been in seasons of where I'm like, God, are you in this or not? Now remember the words of Jesus, you're either for me or you're against me. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm for you. It's very common for us to have those feelings, okay? It's very common to have doubts. It's very common to have these feelings of concerns. I don't think we can actually go through life and never doubt God. I don't think that make it would take a, someone who's really not human <laughs> to say that they've never doubted God. When we look at our lives, we know that it takes, it takes resources to, to get things done in our lives, right? We have to work. We have to eat. We have to drink. We have to have relational connect, uh, connection. We have to have somewhere to live. We have to have shelter. These are basic requirements of our lives. So what do we do with the teaching of Scripture that our pursuit should focus on Jesus and not on things? So turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, if you've already got your thumb there from earlier. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. This passage comes in the middle of what, if you grew up in church, you've heard it called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus gives, and it covers a multitude of topics. It includes teachings like the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer, fasting, all these great, all these great little lessons in there. And in the few verses before verse 31, Jesus instructs us to not worry. He says, don't worry. And I love that it's not a suggestion. It's actually a command that Jesus gives us. Don't worry. And it's odd, isn't it, since in today, 2023, that anxiety and worry are two of the biggest challenges that we face in North America. Anxiety and worry are two of the biggest challenges that we face. And yet Jesus commanded us as followers of him, do not worry. Some would call anxiety an epidemic in America right now. But here's the thing. Worry and anxiety are actually the counterpunch to contentment. And it starts, Jesus by telling us, don't worry. If Jesus stopped right there, it would feel like kind of a cruel joke. Don't worry, Jesus. Yeah, it's easy for you, for you to say you're the son of God. But then he gives us the basis for not worrying. He patiently explains to us that God already knows everything that you need. He knows. He uses two illustrations. He uses the birds in the air, the flowers in the field. He tells us that if God can provide for the birds and he can make all the flowers beautiful, then he can certainly take care of you. And then Jesus summarizes his thoughts in verse 31. 31 through 34, let's read it together. Let's read it. And so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Look who worries about those, says Jesus. The pagans. You see that? For the pagans run after these things. The unbelievers, the ones who are not following me, the ones who are worshiping other gods, they are the ones worrying about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you seek God first, Seek the righteousness of God. All of these other things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
a commandment from Jesus, do not worry. I've got this. That's what Jesus is saying. Trust me, I've got this. I've got you in my hand. Everything, I know what you need. I know your bills are due. I know that your relationship is messed up. I know that you're still fighting this addiction. I know what's going on in your life. Don't worry because I'm still in control. And that leads us to our second feeling for the weekend. Contentment is built as, a tr- as I trust God. Contentment is built as I trust God. At a surface read, Jesus indicates that God understands our need for food and for drink and for clothing and that he's going to take care of our needs. But there's a deeper lesson that I want us all to see, and it's this. Ultimately, all of our needs as human beings are being met from God and through God. From God and through God. Whatever whatever human need that you have, your need is going to be met from God and through God. We absolutely have a part in playing, though. You have to believe. You have to work hard. You have to use your gifts and your talents and the skills that God has given you. However, God is both the author and giver of all things. Once we understand that everything we have comes from God, we can trust that God will meet our needs in the way that he believes is best. Let me say that again. Once we understand that God is ultimately in control of everything in our lives and that he is the great provider of everything that we have, then we can know and trust that he is going to meet our needs in the way that he believes is best. God meets our need in the way that he believes is best for us, not us. And even when he doesn't work in a way that I expect, (laughs) because I've got my list of expectations that I, in, in the way that I feel God should answer my prayers, when it doesn't happen that way, I can continue to trust him because he has proved himself faithful. I got, I got into a conversation this week with someone who were, was trying to define the word blessing. He said, I'm just looking for my blessing. I'm just looking for my blessing. And I said, let me, hold on. Did you wake up this morning? Are you breathing? Do you live in America? Do you have a, a roof over your head? Do you have food in your stomach? Are you, are you healthy? What do you mean you're looking for your next blessing? You have been blessed beyond measure already. But for some reason, we keep looking for the next blessing because we're not content. Did you know that you and I were originally created to base our lives and trust in God? We were designed to live in a relationship of trust with God as, as him being the sole provider of all of our needs. Going all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read about this perfect world, this perfect garden that God created to have relationship with humanity. And he was the great provider for all of humanity. But then we read in chapter 3 where we ruined that. Original sin and how Adam and Eve broke trust with God. And the rest of Scripture from Genesis 3 all the way throughout is the story of redemption. God undoes the catastrophe of the garden. He gives humanity an opportunity to be restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that once again we can begin to put our trust in the life that God has given us and in him. We were created and designed to find deep contentment through trusting God. Our culture has sold us a lie that contentment is found in things whatever we can do on our own. But let's be people who embrace the truth of God over the lie of Satan. 
I want to close by reading Psalm 23. If you grew up in church, you can probably quote it all throughout the last 40, 50 years. There's been lots of translations. We're going to have a translation on the screen. And I think if we could read this together, this is actually the secret to our contentment. If you read this, if you read the 23rd Psalm over and over, you will find the secret of contentment on the inside of these beautiful verses. And I would love for all of us to read this together as a campus. Ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the secret of contentment. I think it's a good habit to be in. One of the things I I do every morning when I wake up, before my feet hit the ground, I turn my body to the side. Before my feet hit the ground, I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I dedicate this day to you. And I actually call out the day on this day, on this Sunday, February the 26th, 2023. I surrender to you my heart, my soul, my mind, my body, my spirit. I give to you my gifts and talents and abilities and skills. And I lay it at your feet as a sacrifice of praise. That's the thing that I've done for years. Because I want the Lord to know that I'm acknowledging him as the source of everything that I have. That I have nothing without him that my wife and my children and our health and my home and my vehicles and my job, my faith family, I know that they all come from him, that he is the great provider. And that is the secret of contentment. I want to encourage us this week. Here's my challenge for all of us. Contentment begins when I shift my focus from the lie of culture to the provision of God. Contentment builds as I trust God to meet my needs each day. So this week, I want all of us to evaluate our lives and ask God to show us areas of our lives where we have been discontent, where we've been pursuing stuff and things rather than pursuing Jesus. You want to be a better you? If you want to get self-help books, go right ahead. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. You want to be a better you? Pursue Jesus. As you pursue Jesus, you'll become a better you. That's the way it happens. Love God, love others, pursue Jesus, become better. Hey, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for this series on becoming like you. Lord, all the different topics we covered of being intentional, being surrendered, of being wise, of being generous, being courageous, and today being content. Father, as we pursue you, these things will naturally happen in our lives. We want to be a people that's on fire for you. We want to be a people that pursue, that pursues you in everything, in every area of our lives, Lord. And Father, as we do that, Lord, we know that our relationship just becomes stronger 
we can be the people that you designed us to be, to really reflect the image of you. So Lord, I pray over every person in this auditorium right now, even outside this auditorium, Lord, wherever our volunteers may be, Lord, our kids, Lord, I pray for everyone in this building right now, Lord, may they feel the hope of Jesus in their life. Lord, may we recite the Psalm 23 and find the secret to being content, that we're not chasing stuff, we're not chasing positions, we're not chasing power or people. Lord, we are chasing you. And that in that, Lord, we will find contentment in our lives. Lord, I pray for everyone, Lord, that's going to be water baptized next week. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the step that they're taking in their journey with you and their relationship with you. Lord, because you said to be baptized, Lord, to repent and be baptized. And that's what we're doing. We're following your model. We're following the life that you led for us. Thank you. Lord, if there's those in here that's, that's still kind of on the fringe about being water baptized, Lord, I pray for, that you would just encourage them right now in the name of Jesus that they will take that step. And they will pursue you in a way they never had before. Father, we love you. We surrender to you. We trust you with our lives. Lord, I pray for protection over everyone. Lord, I bless everyone's uh, families here. Lord, I bless their marriages. I bless their children. I bless their lives, Lord, their jobs, their careers, their, finance, their finances, Lord. Lord, let us go here. Let us leave here. And as we go our separate ways, Lord, watch over us, protect us, bring us back next week, ready to celebrate those who are taking a step in water baptism. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Don't forget some of the announcements that we made earlier. If you came prepared to give, you can drop that off in the, in the box before you leave. If you want to get water baptized, hang, hang tight. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be meeting over here in the overflow in about 15 minutes. So stay here for that class. And uh, also, if you are a volunteer, our team huddle is next Saturday, 930 to 1030. Hope to see you there. And then water baptisms next week. Let's be here to cheer on and celebrate with those who are taking that step. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.